Now we're going to the book of Luke because Easter is still in effect and there's so much to cover in Easter. When I was in seminary, I was given one hour to make as many sermons as possible out of the Easter story. You're going to laugh. I came up with 52 of them in one hour. I had to have three-point sermons. Uh, on this. No, you can spend an entire year just on what happened at the tomb. I would have you all leave me, but, you know, I mean, I'd, but this is, this is really important. We never get to this, so this is where we're going to be at. We're going to be Luke chapter 24. And we know the story. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, the women took the spices and prepared them and went to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. We know that. Then we go to verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to the village called Eumaeus, about eight miles, seven miles away from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself appeared, came up and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Copius, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, and before God and all the people, and the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what more on the third day since this all took place. In addition, some of our women were amazed and they went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he's alive. Then some of our company went to the tomb just as it, and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Now I'm going to save the reading for a little bit later, the rest of it. Eumaeus was a it actually is a small village about eight miles northwest of Jerusalem. Now, the two people walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus were discouraged disciples. But they had no reason to be discouraged. They had heard the report of the women at the tomb and that it was empty and that Jesus was alive. But they did not believe them. They had hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. But their hopes have been shattered. We get the impression that these disciples were discouraged and disappointed because God did not do what they wanted him to do. They had an opinion. They wanted it done a certain way. They saw the glory of the kingdom. But they failed to understand the suffering of the kingdom. Jesus graciously walked with them and listened to their animated, heated conversation. Now, no, there's no doubt in my mind that they were quoting various old scripture prophecies and trying to remember what Jesus said and had taught. But they were unable to put it all together and come up with an explanation that made sense. 
Was he a failure or a success? Why did he have to die? Was there a future for the nation? Then there's a touch of humor recorded in Matthew 24, verse 19, when Jesus asked, what things? I can just picture that, what things, right? He had been at the heart of all that had happened, and now he was asking them what had occurred. How patient our Lord is with us as he listens to us tell him what he already knows. You ever told God what he already knows? I have. We may come boldly with freedom of our personal speech to his throne and pour out our hearts and he will help us. The Bible clearly tells us sitting here today this simple fact in place after place. Now, if you want to look up a couple of them just for later version, you know, so you can make sure that I'm telling you the truth, you got Psalms 62 verse 8 or Hebrews 4:16. But you can always take anything to God. Now, the longer this person, Cleophas, talked, the more he indicted himself and his friend because of their unbelief as they were walking along. What more evidence do they want? They have the witnesses. They have the ladies who went personally to the tomb. And then they had the two apostles who had seen the tomb was empty for themselves. They had the angels announcing that Jesus was alive. They had the witnesses. They had him alive. They'd heard him. The proof was there. The proof was there. And in spite of the proof... We have them walking in despair to Emmaus. And as you read their conversation, you can also picture these two walking with their heads down, their faces basically in the dirt, where their feet are walking, where their feet are treading in this this dirt, that's all they're looking at. Can you picture it in their mind? They're looking, they're not looking at the path before them. They're just watching their feet as they walk. The world around them has crashed down around them and there's no light for them. It was all dark. Everything was falling apart. Their faith was dragging in the dirt with them as they walked. Now, in the book of Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's a great verse to memorize. And this verse explains why Jesus opened up the word to these two people as the three of them walked towards Emmaus. Their real problem was not in their heads, but in their hearts. They could have discussed the subject for days and never arrived to a satisfactory answer. 
What they needed was a fresh understanding of the word of God. And Jesus gave them that understanding to them. He opened the scriptures and then opened their eyes. And they realized that Jesus was not only alive, but right there with them. And now before we get to the meat and potatoes of this sermon, of our study today, let me ask you a question. And and I promise you this will work into our sermon. You're going to think I'm crazy at first, but bear with me, right? When you were children, did you ever daydream? Okay, yes, you did. Some of you will admit it. Some of you are just like, no, I never daydreamed. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. We all daydreamed, even when we're adults. But I think I know why. Do you remember daydreaming when you were younger and you see you were young and you weren't in charge of anything? We, when you were children, you didn't get to make the rules, did you? You can't always do what you want to do. It doesn't change much when you're an adult, does it? There's always somebody bigger and older and meaner and not and not every child's life's all fun and games. As children, we couldn't do anything about some of our problems, so we daydreamed. Does it work for adults too? Yeah, we daydream. And in our daydreams, we're no longer helpless. We're the heroes, and we get to punish the wrong and reward the good and the... We get to make everything right. Don't you wish you could make everything in the world right today? I mean, as you look around, all that is wrong in society and all that in the world, don't you wish you somehow you could just make everything right the way it ought to be? People do react in a variety of ways. Instead of trying to change the situation, some people try to escape from the situation. There are lots of ways to do that. Many turn to alcohol or drugs to drown their problems and dull their senses and to blot out all that's around them. Others just can't cope. Coping in this dark world can be hard at times. Now, Charles Dickens... Now, it's an old, old story, but it works for our time today, right? The tale of two cities. He tells of a man, a doctor, who was imprisoned for 20 years in a French prison and unable to practice medicine in that prison. So to try to keep his mind occupied, he actually became a carpenter in the book. Pardon me, a cobbler. I said carpenter, wrong word. And he learned to repair shoes in his little cell. You should read the book. It's a great read. So for 20 years, in a dark prison cell late at night, he would, you could hear tap, tap, tapping as he repaired the shoes of fellow prisoners. Finally, during the French Revolution, he was freed. But he could not cope with his freedom. He was, he was unused to the brightness of the sunlight and the openness of the world around him. And he no longer knew how to respond to all that. He just couldn't cope with life. 
So Dickens writes that he went home and had a servant prepare him a room in the attic the exact same size as the cell was in prison. And every evening, the servant would escort him to that room and physically lock him in that room all night long. And all the servant could hear is tap, tap, tapping as he worked on shoes and made shoes. He couldn't cope with the world around him, so he withdrew. It's a sad story. Now, others people, they join cults, they participate in seances, they dabble in transcendental meditation, they try to develop supernatural powers. They had tarot cards used against the senators at the Capitol this year on bills. They were sitting there running right through there. It's like, give me a break. Folks, because of God's word, I am convinced we don't have to blow things away if we don't like them. Or seek to escape from the realities of life if we can't seem to do anything about them. Instead, there's a third alternative. We can deal with them with the help of our resurrected Lord. Now, Sir Douglas Bladder. Bladder, that's actually his name. He was a pilot who lost both legs in a plane crash right before World War II. He was fitted with artificial legs and resumed flying. And in 1939, when Germany and England went to war, he enlisted in the Royal Air Force with two artificial legs. And because of the great need for pilots, they let him fly with artificial legs. Flying with artificial legs, he shot down 22 enemy planes in the Battle of Britain. He became a national hero and an example how a handicapped person or a challenged person, whatever word you, they called him handicapped back then, could serve their country. Then in 1941, his plane was shot down over France, and he parachuted into enemy territory. And in the process, both of his artificial legs were damaged, destroyed. He was helpless when he was captured. He he didn't have legs. He was so respected by the German captors that amazingly they contacted the British government and through the Red Cross, the Red Cross did that conversation back then, to airdrop two of his spare artificial legs so he could have use of his legs in the POW camp. And the British did do that. They sent a plane over and dropped it down with Red Cross packages. And the Germans soon realized they'd made the biggest mistake they'd ever made. For as soon as he, he received his artificial legs, he began trying to escape. After four escape attempts... His captors decided the only thing to do was, every night when he went to bed, they took his artificial legs and they locked them up. That was the only way they could know to keep him from trying to escape. He was in a terrible place, but he still kept on fighting. you got to admire this man. Don't you? He gives a whole new meaning to the phrase... You can't keep a good man down. But also in World War II, we have another story. Immediately after World War II, the Allies gathered hungry and homeless children, and they were everywhere in in Europe. 
and they placed him in large camps. That's all they could do. The, uh, the, uh, the child, it was just an enormous amount of children that had no parents left. And they fed and took care of them and they started schooling and they tried to help them. But at night, they did not sleep well. It seemed that they were afraid. Finally, a psychologist, he had the solution. When the children went to bed, these children in the homeless camps, they were each given one slice of bread to hold If they wanted more to eat, there was more to eat. But this special slice of bread was not to be eaten, was to stay with them in the bed. They they can't, you don't know how many days these children went hungry during World War II. They didn't know what food was. They had a slice of bread. And it was like magic. The children went to sleep subconsciously feeling they'd have something to eat tomorrow. And the assurance alone gave the children the hope they needed to make it through that night. Hope that they could take a hold of. I tell you these stories to bring home the point uh, that our scripture verses share with us today. It is a story with an element of mystery and a wonderful surprise of hope. We sitting here today are told of two people, right? They're, they're, they're walking along from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're, they're home. It's about eight miles away. We don't know much about them. There was two of them. But we're not sure whether there was two men or one man and one woman. We're not told. All we know is one of them is named Cleophas. Whoever they are, they're completely disheartened. That week, they had been with Jesus. They had followed him. It had been a glorious week until Jesus had been arrested, tried, and crucified. Now their hopes and their dreams were shattered and gone. And it was all over. And slowly, they were making their way home. It was not a happy trip at all. Now, yes, they had waited some time that morning after hearing about some of the rumors about the empty tomb and some of the women had said they'd seen that the tomb had been empty and Jesus had even appeared to them. And as they were coming back, they pondered all that. But the apostles didn't believe it, so Peter and John ran to the tomb and confirmed it. Confirmed it was empty. But now, nobody seems to know what's going to happen. Confused, disheartened, they leave Jerusalem and are traveling back home to Emmaus. Anybody ever been there? It's a terrible thought to be that situation. Everyone's been there. They're walking along, talking over things that have happened this past week, and Jesus himself joins us, joins them. Listen to the last part of verse 16. But they were kept from recognizing him. 
every time I read that verse, it disturbs me. Because I wonder, would it actually be possible to meet Jesus and not know it? The Bible tells us wherever two or more are gathered together in his name, Jesus is there also. And and it doesn't imply that he's there in physical presence, but Jesus came here this morning in flesh, in his spirit. But what if he put on a business suit and came to worship with us? What if he walked in in a pair of shorts and came to worship with us? What if he walked out, what if as I walked out the door, I shook his hand and he said, fair sermon. How would I react? How awful I would feel if I was actually looking in his eyes and shook his hand and I did not recognize him. Here we have two people who didn't recognize him. They were his followers. But right now, in his resurrection state, they didn't recognize him. That's disturbing when you really think about it. You know what I'm talking about? They walked with them and talked with them and didn't recognize them. Let's think about that for a moment. We've all had our Gethsemanes. We have them, don't we? Times when we feel like crying out, Father, please let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink it. It's too much. It's too hard. Why is everything happening to me? If you've never had that conversation with God, you're fibbing. Because we've all had that conversation with God. We've also had our Calvary moment. When we feel so alone and we cry out even to God and we, we say, why have you forsaken me? It's also possible to have a resurrection moment. When, now hear this out. In fact, Paul reminds us that all who have been baptized into Jesus have also been baptized into his death. And even as Jesus was resurrected and raised from the dead, we too are to raise and walk in a new life. So Jesus, in Jesus, And with Jesus, we can pass from death to eternity. Now, if we have our Gethsemanes, we have our calories, and we even have our resurrection, is it possible that we can have our, and actually an an Emmaus journey too? Here we are traveling down this road of life. Our hopes and dreams are broken and shattered, and our prayers seem to go unanswered. We're trying to deal with everything all by ourselves. And suddenly Jesus comes and walks beside us and encourages us and he never leaves us alone. Well, as they were walking, verse 17 says that he asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And he answered, are you the only one living in Jerusalem who doesn't know about the things that happened there these days. What things, Jesus said. I love that. What things? 
<sighs> about Jesus of Nazareth. He, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful of word and deed before God and all the people and the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death then crucified him. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, the key is to realize that this was the hope that they had. Their hope was that Jesus would redeem Israel. How would he do that? Hmm. Now he went to a cross. And he died. He redeemed Israel. But not only Israel, he redeemed the entire world at that cross. But he redeemed the world from what? He redeemed the world from sin and death. Oh, that. Sin and death. See, they had hoped that he would return and redeem them from Rome. They had hoped that he would redeem them from Rome. The Roman misery, the, the poverty, the hunger, the disease from being occupied. But he came to redeem them from sin and death. We haven't changed much, have we? We still want the same things. The world around us wants a Messiah who will make our lives a bed of roses. Have you ever wanted your life to be easy? You ever wanted no more pains, aches? Well, that's part of life here. They want, we want somebody, the world wants somebody who will take away all our problems and worries. We want basically, many people in the world want a resurrection without death and a victory without defeat. So Jesus responds to them and to us in verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow of heart that you do not believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? There's no way to have a resurrection without a death. So what Jesus is saying is he had to go through this and you have to go through your walk too. I'm not going to take this road from you, but I'm going to walk with you even though you may not recognize me. Did I make sense there? Some of you, do I need to say it again? Some of you are looking at me. He's not going to take the road from you, but he's going to walk you through it. There's nothing that bad that you can't handled with God walking by, by your side. He even will I'll walk with you and empower you to make every step. When you can't walk on your own, he'll make it, he'll help you walk. And as they travel down the road, they pretty soon pass through the gates of Emmaus. Verse 28 says, and they approached the village where they were going and Jesus is active, he was going to go on farther. I like that verse. It tells us, sitting here, a couple things. 
It tells me, first of all, that Jesus never invades our area of privacy. Now, how many of you get in telemarketer or phone calls at your house? They invade your property. When I'm at home or I'm in the office, they really like calling in the office, right? Because we have to have these things called landlines. And they're trying to sell me everything in the world. My name's on some list, right? I've been offered light bulbs to aluminum siding. And now the worst ones are the ones that want to get me to invest money into some investment program. I've been offered houses in Maui and and all these things. They're the ones that are the most pushy. I finally come up with a line that works. At least they don't call back. And, And I, now hear me out, I... I try to be courteous. But I resent it too. But Jesus never invades our private areas. He doesn't come without permission. He doesn't just bring you up. He works in this thing called an invitation. When they finally arrive home and Jesus takes a step ready to leave them, but they stop him from going. And the King James Version says, they constrained him. Now, the NIV says, they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. And the second thing this tells us is that it doesn't take much to get Jesus to stay. All we have to do is invite him. All we have to do is invite him. Open the door, he's knocking. So we invite him in. He's more than happy to come in and stay. Now, in my imagination, I just, I, now, this is imagination, not scripture, so bear with me, right? I can just see them entering the house and the wife quickly is trying to wipe the dust off some of the furniture because they've been gone, right? And she's running into the kitchen and throws something together. And pretty soon she brings it up piping hot and they sit down to eat. It's a relaxing atmosphere. And they continue their visit. Verse 30 says, And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. All this time, they had been with Jesus looking at him, but never seeing him. Now suddenly, as they eat together, their eyes were open. And they actually saw him for who he was. After he left, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? Would to God that all of us, that we would experience, I really wish, I wish that we would experience that burning desire in us. The greatest plague in the church today is mediocrity, is our contentment with what they things are going. We are content to look and never see, to listen and never hear, to be motivated and never respond. 
Far too many in church buildings sit like bumps on the log, walking on a great road complaining because every once in a while they get hurt and never responding to his touch. How different it was for these two. If you read the rest of the story, it says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Now, it must have been, I'm just doing some quick math here, eight or nine at night. They're going to be walking eight miles in the dark. They could have waited till morning. But that same night, they started back. They couldn't wait to get to Jerusalem. And when they did, it says they found the apostles and those who were assembled with them. And they they rushed to the door and knocked upon it, so anxious to tell their story. But when the apostles opened the door, the indication from Scripture is that the apostles spoke before these two could speak. The apostles are saying, it is true. The Lord is risen and he's appeared to Simon. And those two standing there, blinking their eyes, they're saying, yes, we know it's true. He met us on the way and he walked with us and we recognized him when he broke the bread. See, I can, I don't know about you, but I can sense the excitement there, right? I mean, if I'm sitting there, I'm seeing the risen, I'm going to get excited. All these people are trying to talk at the same time. Can you picture this in the room? I mean, they just knocked on the door. They opened the door. It's evil alive, right? They didn't get out their words first. What an excitement and rejoicing it must have been that day. We're traveling on the same road to Emmaus this morning. Sometimes our dreams are shattered. Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we cry. Jesus said, I did not come to take the road away. I came to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you until we're home. In the meantime, open the word so that your eyes will be opened and your hearts will be warmed. Let me repeat that. In the meantime, open the word so that your eyes will be opened and your hearts will be warmed. How long has it been since you felt a warming in your heart? How about your soul? It's so easy to slip into neutral spiritually and just allow things to come and go. To go to church on Sunday morning, but to never experience the stirring of God's grace. The warmth of his love Looking and never seeing, listening and never hearing. Things always mess up. Things always go wrong. What do you concentrate on? See, if you're not in the anchor, if you're not in God's word, life can get really hard. Do you know there's great big anchors dropped at sea? When you're coming to a port, you know the big ships coming to a port and the port's full? They have chains and ropes, you know, cables, right out in the middle of the sea where ships anchor up to. 
A fully loaded ship is being held by a little anchor, not a little one, mind you, it's basically a barge filled with cement to drop straight down in the water, right? And it'll hold against the storm. No matter what storm comes, that's why they anchor, and they'll, they can face into the storm and then they just twirl around out there. Because they don't need them putting around the ocean waiting to get into port. There's anchors all along the port while the opening comes. Big square barge filled with cement, 20 feet tall, and they sink it down. And it sits down there three, 400 feet, 200 feet, whatever the feet is, with a cable attached to it, and the ship hooks up to it. And it can weather whatever it comes at it. This book here is our anchor. And if you haven't spent some time in it, it's time to. Best time to do it is when things are falling apart. No, best time to do it is before things start falling apart. So you have the anchor attached while you go through the things are falling apart. Now we need to close. So you can go out and enjoy this wonderful, wonderful weather. Anybody getting excited the snow's almost gone? I have spring fever. And there's a rabbit out there that needs to disappear. It's killed five of our big plants. I will trap it and take it down to the river. Don't worry, I won't. For you tree huggers, right, I'll keep the rabbit alive. But it's going to disappear. We lost five big plants. Ate all the bark. That high off the ground. It's a problem. Am I going to get upset? No. Am I going to be perturbed? Yes. There's a difference. You can trap what gets you by opening this book. You can enjoy the sunshine of his light. If you go out in it and enjoy it. So let's close. Now, there's some wonderful goodies at the coffee bar. If you're a visitor, you have to stop and help us eat some, right? So we'll have a song, and then you'll be dismissed. So let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your glorious throne with improper words but proper hearts. Yes, we've all had troubles and trials and tribulations. But help us to remember that you have won the war. We're just in the battle. The battle will continue just like in World War II, even after the Germans surrendered. But we know that the war is won. You died. And the tomb is empty. Give us wisdom to understand that great truth. And all God's people said, Amen.